The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to the Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Any believer's life will go epic when they discover the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining our podcast today as we unfold more of the truths of who you are in Christ. Believer, let's go epic. Most of you know that we've been doing a series on the Believer Going Epic. It's under the podcast of the name of Identity Matters for Eternity. I think anything and everything that we possibly could preach on can be run through and should be run through the identity truths of who you and I are in Christ Jesus. Now we've been in the middle of a little mini-series underneath True Grace called Going Epic, and we are at the portion of our teaching series where we're talking about a revival. What is real revival? What is being revived all about? A lot of people associate a revival with tent meetings and having some outpouring of the Spirit move in such a mighty way that people are compelled to get out of their seats and come forward fall on their knees and ask Jesus Christ to come into their lives and to be born again. Well, I say that's awesome. But that's not our goal. I believe there's going to be fewer salvations from this day until the second coming of Jesus Christ than any time in world history. There will not be an increase, a larger numbers of salvations and we saw back in our tent revivals. There was a day in this particular country and I think some of our listeners from other countries could say the same thing where you could put up a tent and you could have a loudmouth preacher come in like me and preach a good revival sermon and there would be hundreds if not thousands of people that would go to their knees and receive Christ. You remember the days of Billy Graham. He literally started in tents. And then it went to big arenas. Well, we're talking millions of people from listening through television or listening on the radio or being at that arena. And recently, Dr. Graham was asked a question by Barbara Walters. This is before... He was truly retired. And she asked him, Dr. Graham, how many people, what percentage would you say of all the people that came forward at your crusades? Now we're talking 48 years of crusades. How many percentage-wise would you say 
people truly became Christians. Does anyone remember what the response was? It was in the news for a long time. You can say it. 2%. That's Dr. Graham saying it. He's the preacher. He's the evangelist. You see... I kind of think like Dr. Graham and I kind of think like Franklin as well. And that is very simple. And that is just because you get out of your seat and you are moved by some powerful message and you come forward and get on your knees and pray the right prayer doesn't mean anything to eternity. The only thing that means something in eternity is that the Holy Spirit is upon you. The Holy Spirit is moving you. The Holy Spirit is bringing you to your knees. The Holy Spirit is putting the words inside your mind to pray. The Holy Spirit, as Steve Green recently sang for us about reviving us, the only thing that is going to turn us to receive Him is to be broken and melted before him to be humbled there are so many arrogant salvation prayers it makes my stomach sick there are so many people in the world who believe they're Christians and you guys already know my thinking on that is that they truly are Christians because what is a Christian a Christ follower it's the original Greek definition. It was the original label given to anyone who was following Christ around. That was before they had the Holy Spirit after Pentecost. You see, now this is a shocking moment for some people who are listening. The disciples were not Christians. Indwell-wise. But by the Greek definition, the disciples were Christ followers, were they not? Now, when did they actually become indwelt Christians? Remember when Peter approached Jesus and said, Where is this gift that you promised us? And we're talking true revival is about to happen from within. And Peter was just desperately wanting. This is after Peter was broken through betrayal. He was melted by the hand of Christ as he was on that boat and got off the boat and Christ put his hand upon Peter. He was melted. He was touched by Jesus. And he still wasn't indwelt. You see, you cannot have an indwelt life until the fulfillment of the process of the cross is complete. Hearing the gospel of your salvation. See, they saw the gospel before them. Can you imagine that? You're seeing the power of the cross before you. And what did Peter do? Well, he betrayed his own Savior three times. Felt so guilty, he ran off and went back to the fishing world. You see, when Peter finally was broken and melted, he asked that question. And Jesus said to his precious follower of Christ, 
So there they are on this hill. And they have no theology to base any of this around. You, if you were taken back and put on that hill no, with the theology that you have right now in your head, you'd know what's coming. You'd be patient, wait for it, he's got to go, the Holy Spirit's going to come. and you know, you know the steps. They didn't. This was all by faith. They were not indwelt. None of them could die besides Judas because they had their names already inscribed upon the twelve doorways of the new Jerusalem. These guys were handpicked by the God of the universe. Nothing was going to happen to these boys until they became indwelt. And so they're waiting and waiting and waiting. They're saying their goodbyes to Jesus. And I could just see the picture in my mind. I could see him ascending unto his father. And whenever that transaction took place, the spirit was released from the father. And it came down. And when the Holy Spirit was finally fulfilling the orders of God the Father and God the Son... They were in Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit came upon them and indwelt them. They were filled with the Spirit. There's a particular Christian denomination or movement called the Charismatics that formed a church just out of that night. Are you kidding me? That was the conclusion of the pathway of the cross. Everyone who received Christ after that moment had an indwelling. No more second blessings. We made churches out of the sections of the timeline of the cross. Baptists, charismatics, so forth and so on. He worked so diligently to present to us Tav. Hebrew Tav. What is the symbol? What is the pictorial symbol for Tav? Those of you who've been taught by it, the cross. That's Hebrew, pictorial Hebrew before modern Hebrew was even scribed. Here's what seek means in Hebrew. Seek to be washed through the cross by the way of the mouth that destroys the deeds that prop. We're going to talk about seeking the indwelling life tonight. Seeking in the Greek is different. I'll show you that definition a little later. But seeking from the Hebrew brings the cross into motion. Seeking brings the cross into a washing position. Seeking... If this is true, if pictorial Hebrew is true, which I can assure you by the throne of God that it is, God's authentic language, the cross was put in place before the foundation of this earth. And Hebrew proves it. Tav. To be washed through the cross by way of Christ's mouth. By the way of the word of God. Through his son. He came to dwell among us so that we could behold his glory. The disciples learned that that night on Pentecost. 
I'm not a Pentecostal. I just believe in the power of Pentecost. And what happened that night. And the conclusion and the completion of the plan of salvation. That happened that night. And anyone who claimed Christ and decided to follow Him through their churches, through their religions, through their whatever it is they're using to follow Christ, I know that I know that in the end times that Antichrist will swap the name. Christians are going to be running around the world saying that they are followers of Christ. But the question I ask you, listener, is who's your Christ? Is it Joseph? Is it some Buddha? Is it what what is who's your Christ? All Christ means is Messiah, leader of the world. We have Jesus as our Christ. Who's your Christ? Are you going to use the name Jesus like he's some kind of lukewarm placid figure? So you can continue to do the things that you want to do, even though you can claim to be a Christian. I'd hate to have you learn that on the other side, in the pit of hell. Because you will go to hell. I promise you this night, you will go to hell and burn eternally. If you call yourself a Christian, and you have not been filled with the life of Jesus Christ as an indwelt believer. What's our new revival about? It is about cleaning up the terminology that the world is using that surrounds the concept of Christian. I'm okay with using the term Christian, but I will never, as you guys know, use the term Christian without putting a word in front of it. Ministries that are attaching the word indwelt onto Christian because there's a huge difference. Catholics call themselves Christians, but there's indwelt Christians within that church. Are there not? Of course there are. There's 321 religions in the world that use the term Christian. Chrislam is the new one the government's concerned about. The blending of Christianity and Muslims. I can assure you, if we had a true Muslim imam standing up here tonight, he would tell you that that is not acceptable with true Muslims. Their Allah is not our living God. But then why are these Christians running around the world saying, it's okay for you to claim whatever God you want. Because it boils down to one simple decision. Something that came out of Jesus' mouth. Listener, listen to me carefully. Particularly my friends in India. Listen carefully. Jesus said no man or woman or child is going to come unto the Father but by Him. That will eliminate every single religion in the world today. If I have any Muslim listeners, which I normally do, please call me at 602-292-2982. 
I want to dialogue with you. You are literally two clicks away from understanding true Christianity. You have more faithfulness, loyalty, dedication, and suffrage connected to your belief system than probably 95% of the Christians that are in the world today. These Christians that are in the world today classically are very wimpy. They can't even handle someone saying, I hate you, let alone having a gun put to their head for their faith or a knife to their throat. We're about to be separated. Separated into true, true indwell believers knowing what it means to be born again versus being a follower of Jesus. We need a revival now. Those of you who are listening by way of our podcast online, I really want to encourage you to click on the PDF. At least open it up, but I would print it out. So you can see the slides that we're teaching from tonight. When Jonah's message came to Nineveh, now I just am absolutely in love with the Jonah story. So was Jesus. He even used Jonah's story to describe and depict his three days in the pit of Hades, paying the price for us before he was birthed out of that tomb to give us resurrection life. That's what the story of Jonah was all about. But this message that was given to Jonah to take into Nineveh, we don't know what the exact words, we don't know really what any of his words were from his message to the Ninevites because we didn't have podcasts back then. It was not recorded. But this we do know. The story is basically of a lazy, sloppy, (coughs) lethargic believer of God who God was in touch with the gifts that he had put within Jonah, but Jonah was not. Do you know surveys say that over 90% of the Christians you ask what their spiritual gifts are, they'll say, I don't know. I'd really like to know. That just blows me away. I know exactly what my gifts are. And when you know that you know, you can know how to function within your calling. But if you don't know, you won't be able to function in your fullness in Christ Jesus because you don't know what your spiritual gifts are. It's a pretty important thing. Well, Jonah certainly wasn't in touch with this. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But I don't think he was. So he gets on a ship and goes to Vegas, right? (laughs) Tarshish, if you do church history study on that, you'll find out is basically a gambling hole. A city of prostitution. He gets on a ship that takes him off to Vegas. In the opposite direction of Nineveh. Look on the map, folks. In order to get to Nineveh, You have to leave that port. You have to go all the way up there, the Red Sea Passage. You've got to go through the Red Sea Passage, up through the river, and finally get to Nineveh. It's quite a journey. And, of course, he took a ship to go the other way. Short route to riches and women. 
And so he gets on that ship and he's off and running. And it says, literally, in the book of Jonah, that God appointed a storm. And it goes on through the chapters saying, God appointed, God appointed, God appointed. Who do you think was in charge of this thing? See, he was going to break him and he was going to melt him before a true mission could really take off. And, of course, he tried to commit suicide four times. I don't know if you know that. Four times. Oh, take my life from me, for I am... He didn't have guts to kill himself. He always wanted someone else to kill him. That's how he got thrown over the, the edge, remember? Uh, if I was one of those, those, those uh, you know, naval soldiers on the ship, I'd just say, jump, bro! Don't, don't pin this on us! But no, he couldn't. And where was he? He was sound asleep. That means ream sleeping. He was sound asleep in the hull of the ship. That's the worst part of the ship in a storm. Sound asleep. Captain had to come down, wake him up and says, What's wrong with you? Why aren't you calling on your God? Oh, you don't know who my God is. <laughs> so he admits to the fact this, this whole thing is because of him. So that the soldiers had to kind of throw lots, do a little gambling to figure out who's going to be the one responsible for this murder. And it even says God was in control of the lots. So this guy throws him over and he's sinking, you know, sinking, sinking. I want to know. I'm going to have a talk with Jonah when I get to heaven and say, what were you thinking from splash zone down here to seeing the fish's mouth come at you? I beat God. I did it. I'm the winner. God's the loser. What were you thinking? Negus devoured by the fish. Stays in there for three days. At the end of the three days, there's a brokenness and meltdown prayer. After he prays the brokenness and meltdown prayer, he spit out onto the shore, walks into the town of Nineveh, preaches whatever this message is that he was supposed to preach. And how many people got saved that day? A hundred and twenty thousand people. The king called for fasting and praying. And that fasting and praying created a dominoes effect in that entire city. Of course, Jonah was happy then, right? No, he crawls to the top of the hill whining and complaining because God was so graceful with them and so rough on him. Prophets always get rougher treatment from God and others. Because of like-minded stuff. We're not sure the story ends well. Then we have Nehemiah. And the story of Nehemiah and the destruction of the city. And, and God uh, picks this cupbearer, you know, to uh, have a kind of a relationship with the king. And one thing leads to another. And God is used by this man. We're going to do several more sermons on this man's life. To literally rebuild Jerusalem and to make her secure again. Read the news tomorrow. There's a war. There's lying, stealing, and cheating with our with our campaign people over the issue of supporting Israel.
Why is this tiny, dinky, little piece of land such a huge political issue generation after generation after generation? It's the capital of the universe. Jerusalem, why is the new Jerusalem term used? Why not just stick to the old Jerusalem? The term Jerusalem is the capital city of the universe. And the new Jerusalem that's coming down is going to be so special that it cannot even touch this defiled earth. It's going to be kind of like this 1,500 square mile block kind of dangling in the air. And that's where you'll be if you're indwelt. Complicated stuff? Not really. If you're one of those Christians or indwelt Christians that avoids the book of Revelation, you have no clue what I'm saying. Fear will get you nowhere but in a dark hole. Nehemiah 9, 1 and 2 says the descendants of Israel separated themselves from foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities. Iniquity is guilt of their fathers. What does this have to do? What's this revival that is about to happen in, in Jerusalem, which is destroyed, broken up, just shattered? What is... What has the sins of their fathers got to do with this? Why does there have to be a cleaning up of the father's stuff? Whether you like it or not, if you have not cleaned up that area of your life and you are a young man, you will resist the ways of becoming like your father. It just so happens Satan knows that as long as you're in a resisting pattern of not being like your father, you're going to end up being like him all the more. Resistance to something creates the same behavior. Do you not get that? Now as a counselor, that's general knowledge. Now if resistance is done through Christ Jesus, I become like him. I become literally a reflection of the image of God the Father through Christ Jesus by the representation of the Holy Spirit from within. Why do we have such rebellion against authority today? Why do I and many, many other disciples throughout the world can easily say that 50% of the young men that start with you in discipleship are going to quit? Because they cannot handle strength. They cannot handle, handle strong leaders anymore. They have to be their own gods, their own preachers, their own teachers. They cannot be discipled firsthand. They have to listen and go home and process so they disciple themselves. I don't want to work with you. Don't call me. Don't email me. If you're the type that has to teach yourself, I don't want to work with you. I want to work with people who can be taught, discipled, and directed, and molded, and made into a man of God, or a man, or a woman of God, or a child of God. Where you can hear the Holy Spirit in anyone who's speaking. Anyone that belongs to God. 
But see, if you can only hear truth from yourself, I would question your very salvation. And I'm not saying you're not saved, but I would question it. The first sign of a true indwelt believer is someone, please teach me. Is there someone out there? Because they understand fatherhood. They understand the need for connection with God through the Holy Spirit that lives inside one. You're not really being discipled by some guy or gal. You're actually being discipled by Christ in that person. But if you cannot handle that, you might ask yourself some serious questions tonight. We're on number 130 in the final revival, Epic 21. Those of you who are following according to the numbers, 130. God's people are told to seek his face. The word seek, now we're in the Greek, means to search out by any method, especially by worship and prayer. What we did tonight... And as we were lifting our hands and as we were singing out before the Lord, some of you lift your hands in your head because it's kind of embarrassing. But you're lifting your heart toward Jesus. That is seeking His face. You, you are directing your entire focus on Him. What we want to do is to go from this view to this view. He's in you. If you just watch your average Christian, you'll see what I see every day. They worship an external Jesus. Not me. I worship an internal Jesus who lives inside me through the representation of the Holy Spirit. Not an external Jesus. That's a Christian. A Christ follower. An indwelt Christian understands that Jesus is praising his own Father inside you. You just join along. Big difference in worship and prayer. The word face refers to the continents. And that, when you see someone's face, something happens inside your mind right away. I mean, if they're ugly, scarred up. I had a buddy down in Phoenix that went through a fire, and he was not pleasant to look at. (laughs) He was pleasant to listen to. The man was fired up about Jesus. But looking at his face, it was difficult to stay intact with embracing him. Was there a reason you think that Jesus was unbecoming in appearance? Listener at 602-292-2982, Jesus was not attractive. He was unbecoming in appearance, he was, which means he was not pleasant to look at. That was for a reason. The seed of God turned out this ugly guy according to our standards. Why? So that people would see life within him. 
that they would be in touch with not this beautiful, beautiful Hollywood model type actor, but they would see his father inside of him. Why? So when he came to live in us, people would not see our wonderful beauty that we stand in front of the mirror and and spend thousands of dollars on trying to stop it from looking dead. But they would actually see Christ in us. Why? To say this. You know, Finney, I, I, I don't know what you got, but I want it. But you're ugly. You're just ugly. And I go, yeah, I've been told that a few times. But you know what? I can show you Jesus. 602. 292. 2982, call me and I'll show you Jesus. I'll introduce you to Jesus. That's only if the Holy Spirit has his hand upon you. Because if the Holy Spirit doesn't have his hand upon you, you're going to call me and debate me. I will not debate you. If you have questions about how to have the life of Jesus, I would be very interested in dialoguing with you. Any good preacher would. Debaters are people of education that believe education equals transformation. What a lie. Satan, you lose on that one. This little phrase is a call for God's people to stop looking for help and purpose in every other thing in life, whatever those things are in your life. We all do it. They are called upon to make the indwelling life their primary focus and their first priority. So I really don't care I can't tell you how many times I get this, dialoguing with people, when they throw their degrees at me, when they throw how many years they've been in the church, when they tell me all their fancy trophies that are on the walls that they have accomplished in Christianity, it is absolutely worthless. You see, I wear a, I wear a badge. And that badge is made of gold. And it looks like a crown. I've been given a gold crown. That ultimately I'm going to take this crown off. And I am going to lay it at the feet of the Lion of Judah. It is a responsibility to bear the crown of the great King of Kings. It's not mine. But I get to behold its glory. That is where our trophies should be, where our focus should be, where our top priorities should be lodged. Nehemiah 1 says, Now on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting and sackcloth. That's a potato sack. It's ugly. They wore sackcloth so they would look ugly. Some use it for religious reasons, going, Look, I'm in my sackcloth today. They were boasting of their humility. Really? Go back to your closet. But their repentance, 
their sackcloth, their humility was genuine. And they were being led to their knees. And that takes a little while to bring someone to their knees. But once their knees hit the ground, something happens. Very special in that person's life. Nehemiah 9.2 says the descendants of Israel have separated themselves from these foreigners. If you think you can hang out with your own friends and still do the things that you're doing and be all excited about the inward life of Jesus Christ ministering in a bar and you know my preacher friend in Minnesota that their church meets in a bar and they have beer on Sunday morning and you know whatever and I've been in dialogue trying to help them understand how this just doesn't fit Jesus. Let's get drunk together in Jesus' name. Yes, there's churches out there like that. There's some very crazy gatherings of assemblies and fellowships that have nothing to do with releasing the life of Jesus from within. We have to separate ourselves from the foreigners and their behavior before this confession is going to take place. Nehemiah 9.3 says, While they stood in their place, probably paralyzed, they read from the book of law of the Lord, their God, for the fourth of the, the day. Can you imagine a whole fourth of a day? All you're doing is reading the scriptures. We can't even get people to stand when the scriptures are read anymore. That is such an old custom. The scriptures really don't have that much of an impact on anyone anymore. Now, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, there's not going to be any removal. It's there to stay. But you see, if the Holy Spirit looks at you and goes, you're arrogant, you're proud, you're haughty, and anyone who suffers with the seven things that God hates... They're not going to hear the spirit of the word of life. They can't. They're too caught up in judging the teacher, judging the preacher, judging the people, judging the... They're just too caught up in their arrogance of I have the answers all the more. And we have a whole world filled with that. Big problem. True revival, I believe, is birthed when you're hungry. There's a direct connection that God has placed with fasting and transformation. Now, Satan has moved that to a different domain. It's called anorexia and bulimia. That's the bad cases. But you see, the diet-oriented world that we live in today is the demonic doctrines that were spoken of by Paul. He said there are some who suffer with the doctrines of demons, those who withhold marriage, i.e. the homosexual movement's gone crazy in the world today, and two, those who abstain and eat vegetables only. There is billions and billions of dollars in diets and exercise programs all over the world. 
because Satan knows that true transformation and the release of a revival takes place in fasting. What a great way to kill it. Well done, Satan. For now. Your day's coming. Revival does not come to people who seek revival, but people who seek God. Far too many people are caught up in what God can do for them, not what they want to do in serving God. But, seek His face means that we hunger for Him. Not what He can protect us in or over. Not what He can give to us. Not what He can provide for us. Those things are evidence that you are fear-bound and need more protection from Jesus than he's willing to offer you. I'm going to say that again, because we have actually some listeners who are being tortured today. They've lost family members. Our ministry in Pakistan is devastating to listen, to look, or to read the reports. Why isn't God protecting them? Why isn't God answering their prayers? Well, my Pakistan friends know this, but I'll say it again. You guys aren't American. America is the country that represents the spoiled children of the world. 602-292-2982. We are your models of spoiled children. We think we deserve better treatment than you who are suffering with a knife at your throat. You who have a gun to your head because you can't handle the stress of persecution. Yes, we do believe we deserve better treatment than you. And here's the sad part, listener. That is deserving better treatment than Jesus got. He says, you will suffer as I have suffered. He said, I want you to join in on the fellowship of my sufferings. Not in this country, but I'm here to tell you today. That is about to change. Very quickly. The essence of genuine revival is falling in love with our husband. Who lives in us. Remember that church that Jesus said, I have this one thing against you? You have left your first love. I mean, I, I am so passionately in love with Jesus, I dance back there. Sometimes I have to stop the music video I'm producing and just start dancing or singing. I am in so love with Jesus that I have no words to even define it most days. To, to sense, to see, to experience His movement in the, in the whole overflow of the Holy Spirit is too overwhelming for me. I get it. I don't always walk in it, but I get it. There's a better plan for us, folks. God does have this plan. He calls on His people to humble themselves. 
The word humble means to bend the knee. This is Greek. To bring down. To place under another. To be less than human. Humility actually means, in the Hebrew, to be a little less than human. Pride will not allow the prideful person to bow their knee to the Lord or to others. God desires his people to take whatever steps are necessary to bring themselves under his authority. Most of you already know this. Author. You see, authority is submitting yourself to the author and perfecter of your faith. But if you have an authority problem, young people that are listening, you'll never get this. I'd never take you into spiritual battle. Because you would hesitate when you got out on the front line. Because you weren't quite sure about the orders that were being given to you. No, you're not a good soldier of the Lord. If you hesitate in battle. I, like Dr. Tina, are trained in special arts. And one of the things that they taught me as I was working through my belts was don't strike until you see fear. Then they're all yours. When they hesitate, you can take them out. Well, where do you think that plan came from? You hesitate as an indwelt believer and Satan's going to take you out. may not be able to kill you because the Lord's in charge of that kind of stuff, but I mean, you're, you're going to go down. It's a huge deal. Pride will destroy you. Stops you from listening to authority, particularly on the front line. He wants us to know that we cannot do it in and of ourselves. He wants us to know that we are dependent on him for everything we have, everything we can say, everything we can do. He wants us to bend the knee to his authority in our lives day after day after day. You see, your salvation and your even your true indwelt Christianity isn't about you being a successful, victorious Christian. To that I say, okay, what if God gave that to you all at one time? Let's say he made the cross a final work. Let's say that all of the victory of eternity resides in your mortal body. Let's just say that. Let's say that you literally become a child of the God of the universe. I can add another hundred if you want me to. All given to you at one time, one moment, the day you were indwelt by the life of Christ. He's not giving you any more. He's not going to listen to your constant appeals and whining and complaining as a Christian. He gave it all to you on the day of your salvation. And he wants you to look inwardly and tap into that life and let it be released through you. Fear? My greatest fear is public speaking, as most of you know. 
but it's my greatest love. Fear is where Satan attacks. Why would he attack an area of your life that God's not going to work? I call that stupid warfare. He's only going to attack in the areas that God wants to use you. He senses how the Spirit is moving. And that's where he puts his fears. So there can be no release of this Holy Spirit that he has no power over. So he keeps people in bondage to fear. And I say at 602-292-2982, the area you fear is the area your spiritual gifts are hiding. Call me. Text me. We'll talk about it. It's a huge deal. Priorities of revival, if we had to be really honest today, and we looked at Really, where are our priorities in our life? I mean, we, we really just stopped and, and we were honest. Number one way that the Lord says we can find out the answer to this question is where your money is. For where your money is, your treasures are, what's the rest of it? That's where your heart is. So that's one way you can find it. But if you've got spiritual gifting of discernment, which most people do who have Christ, you can sense immediately when you're talking to someone what they love and who they're in love with. We have the tendency to polish our idols because we love them. And I am constantly polishing my crown every day. I set it there on my desk and I just kind of admire it because it's the crown of the King of Kings. There's nothing more important to me than to bear his crown in daily ministry and to cherish it as a steward that one day I'm going to get the privilege of bringing it back to him not tarnished but polished and lay it at his feet and he's going to look into my eyes and he's going to say, Well done, faithful servant, Stephen. Come on. Let me show you what I have for you forever. We need to look. We need to answer questions like this honestly. Is our family our, our idol? Is our work our idol? What? The list is long. I can't go through it all. What seizes your mind is your God. That's the simple test. Is it your wife? Is it your husband? Is it your children? Is it your grandchildren? Is it your friends? What seizes your mind? What possesses you? Is it the life of Christ? Is it the thoughts of Christ in you because you have the mind of Christ in you? Or is it your own perpetual thoughts of gimme? Take care of me. Fix me. Heal me. What for, I say? Why do you want to be healed? Why do you want victory? All these things that God gave you at the day of your salvation, why are you asking for them like a four-year-old over and over again? For what? I can tell you for what. To be a minister of reconciliation. 
You see, it's all for the ministry of reconciliation. That's what it's all for. Nothing else. He doesn't want to fix you to have you be a victorious bride of Christ. He wants you to be a minister of the gospel. Wherever you're at. Worship leaders, I love you. Michael W., you know I'm absolutely in love with what God has done in your life. Chris Tomlin, I love you. I love what God does through you, through the music. Preachers all over the world who we are in contact with, I love you for being willing to release the preacher in you, to be willing to release the musician in you. To be willing to say, this isn't my song. I didn't write this song. Because that's how I go after some of the musicians. Who wrote this song? So when this famous musician recently told me who wrote the song, and I contact that person, I say, who wrote this song? Well, I did. Really? Or did the Spirit write it within you? Well, yeah. May I use it, please? That's how we do it. Because any true indwelt believer will say, I cannot take credit for the words, the work, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit within me. Any listener, we don't copyright our stuff. You can have any of my books. You can have any of our podcast stuff, any of the songs, any of the videos, anything we're producing. Take it. Run with it. Use it. Get it out there. Free. And we'll even design stuff for your ministry if you want. We've got to get this message out there to the hurting world. When the indwelling life of our first priority, the things he cares about, are the things we care about. Whatever his ministry is, is our ministry. Whatever his focus is, our focus is. That's where we need to be. If you really want to know what your priorities are today, as I said previously, check out your wallet. That's why I like that commercial, What's in Your Wallet? Actually, where is your wallet? Look at where you go, what you do, what you spend your time on, what you spend your money on. All those are just good ways to find out, really, what you serve. So misplaced priorities are the enemy of revival. It's plain and simple. Satan knows that better than you and I do. So to distract us by throwing these little things in the pathway, it dis track. Separate the two, pulls us off the track. We're no longer being moved by the Holy Spirit in things. We are always analyzing what God told us to do. Is this really God that I should talk to? Talk to the person. Share the gospel with them. Why are we stopping and hesitating on things God said do? 602-292-2982 My email is drfinney, D-R-P-H-I-N-N-E-Y at iomamerica.org I'd love to hear from you. Here's our identity matter statement for today. Yes, there are some enemies that must be defeated. They can be. And if they are, we can experience God's power. He promised Israel that he would 
quote-unquote, I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That is a description of revival, if you ask me. Hearing God, letting Him do the cleansing of Tav, of the cross, so that God can work. God is not interested in healing you folks to say, I was healed by God because you just short-sheeted 90% of the believers in the world who never get healed. It isn't about your healing. And if you've received some kind of healing from cancer, if you've received some kind of healing from, from sexual abuse, if you've received some kind of healing from anything, listen carefully. You've been blessed with a gift. Because that's not the norm. And that doesn't mean you're more special than other believers in the world who do not get freed from that stuff. Before you sleep tonight, there will be indwelt believers abused physically, psychologically, sexually, and spiritually, and they will die before you fall asleep. Tonight. God, what is wrong with you? Don't you protect your children? No, he is a very loving, protective Abba. It isn't about saving us from distress. It's about finding him in it. And I have friends who have found him in horrible circumstances. Yet we whine and complain because our coffee is cold. I'm going to leave you with uh, several questions. This is particularly for our online listeners. Please remember the phone number and the email address I gave earlier because I really am interested in your response. Are you one of his? Are you truly indwelt by the very life of Jesus Christ? Which means, are you really saved? If not, you need to come to him. Hopefully today, if the Holy Spirit's got his hand upon you. Number two, the enemies of revival is just simply pride and prayerlessness. That causes the misplaced priorities and presumptions of of activity in our lives every day. So, the question becomes, are we filled with pride? Are you filled with pride? Are you filled with prayerlessness? Are you distracted easily in your priorities? Do you shift your blocks of priorities around like you're some kind of God that owns the universe? And dishonoring other people's time, other people's things, and other people's whatever. All things belong to the Lord. If so, you need to yield to the indwelling mind of Christ that was put in you upon the day of your salvation. And if you get saved tonight, tomorrow, if you're driving down the freeway and you're automatically starting to pray right now, salvation prayer, Lord, I need what this man's talking about. I've got to have this indwelling life. You're going to get saved now with that kind of confession and brokenness and a meltdown. Your meltdown is eternal. Go ahead, receive him. You're about to see a transformation 
that will transform others you come in contact with. Number three, would you like to see God send us a real revival in the world today? That's what I am really interested in hearing from you. I appreciate many of you who have sent emails and sent text messages to several of the ministries we work with saying count me in and our full contact list. We're in. We will help you multiply this revival. So give me a call at 602-292-2982 and I want to talk to you particularly if you're beyond a lot of the fighting and resistance of true Christianity and you're really wanting to get in and get dirty, get messy like Jesus did and get this final revival moving and breathing to unify true indwell believers all over the world for one simple mission not I but Christ This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.